And Father, I pray that we would have a heart that overflows. Have a heart that overflows based upon your love that have overflowed into our life through the grace that you have given us. And so, Lord, as we look again at this one book, this book, the perfect joining of the Old Testament with the New Testament, I pray that you would give us insights and that you would give us wisdom, Lord, in how we conduct our lives. And so, Father, again, we just lift this time to you that you would bless us and that you'd speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You turn to greet your neighbors. Well, happy 3rd of July. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 26. And as you're turning there, it's Thursday night, so we have our email per request prayer chain. As always, we have a, our prayer chain is done by email here at this church. And if you want to be part of the people who pray, or if you want something prayed for, you can email my wife, Terry, at ccont.org, and you can be become part of the prayer chain. And the beauty of the prayer chain is, is once a request goes out, instantly you will have 200 people praying for your request. Maybe not instantly, but throughout the day. Anyway, we gather them all together, and on Thursday night we pray for them one last time. First one is Karen Weber. Uh, Monday afternoon I received a phone call. It was from Karen. She asked that I would come over to Kaiser Hospital and pray for her mother. Her mother was, well, she ended up passing away, going to be with the Lord about a couple of hours after that. And so I had the privilege of going over there and praying with her mom, anointing her with oil, and then I conducted her funeral today. And it was a blessing. It really was. Uh, the woman was a Christian, and you can see the effect that she had in the lives of others. Uh, Anne's asked for a prayer that, uh, just giving her wisdom and how she takes care of her mom and her mom's mounting medical needs. Bob and Rosie asked for prayer for their four-year-old grandson. He's got swollen and abscessed lymph node. Sal and Lydia asked for prayer for her niece, Melissa. She was in a car accident and fractured her neck. Also asked for prayers for her cousin Sergio and friend Michelle, who were in the same car accident. My daughter, Jamie, and her husband, Chris, they've asked for prayer. My daughter and he are back in Georgia right now. It says they're back in Georgia right now, but they're back in Georgia right now. Uh, Chris just graduated from um, Army boot camp. Uh, was that today? It was yesterday. Did he graduate yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, today. Today was his actual graduation, and they'll be traveling back tomorrow, back home here tomorrow for a period of time. And then they're moving to Drum, New York, upstate New York somewhere. Because all I know is it sounds really cold in the winter where they're going. Maria Macias asked for prayer. She asked for wisdom and a clear word for a situation at her work. Victor and Lizette asked for prayer. They're going on vacation. They're going on vacation to Hawaii, and I don't know if you're supposed to pray for people that go on vacation to Hawaii, but we'll do so anyway. Anyway, they're a blessing. I think they're actually going, uh, Victor teaches martial arts, and I think they're having some kind of event over there as well. A gentleman named Matt uh, Aslan, he asked for prayer for his dad, who's self-employed auto mechanic, and he just recently had carpal tunnel surgery, and he's really having a hard time with his hands. Uh, Annie and Andre asked for prayer for nine-year-old Carolyn. Um, she was at the YMCA, and she was at a rock climbing accident. Uh, she's had head and neck injuries, as well as a broken ankle. 
my understanding, the head injury turned out to not be real serious. Neck injuries were just hairline fracture, fractures, although serious as that is, and she does have a broken ankle. Jerry and Vera Anna has asked for prayer for their nephew, Eric, who's, they, their verbiage, back on prescription drugs, so apparently he struggles with that. Irene Hermosleo uh, asked for prayer for Jackie Garza. She's having surgery this July to have a stent placed into her liver and also asked for prayer that her husband could be close to her as she's going through this treatment. Jerry and Vera Ann also asked for prayer for their son-in-laws or for our son's father-in-law, Bill. He had a biopsy done on a portion of his head and he's a believer. I assume there's some kind of cancer scare there. And then every once in a while, we get a prayer request just from somebody who visits our website on the internet. We don't know who these people are usually personally, but they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, This person actually has been to our church before. They said four times before. And they asked for a prayer for his sister, uh, Karina. She's going to surgery to have a tumor removed from her leg. And then Suzanne White asked for a prayer on her son. He went to the hospital at 3 o'clock in the morning the other day. Um, He has uh, diabetes. He's a diabetic. He's been very sick. Uh, He has an infection in his septic, in his bloodstream. They think it all is happened from a bad tooth. This is like the third or fourth person that I've heard that's had some sort of blood infection from an infected tooth or a bad tooth. So get those teeth taken care of. Don't let it go. Let's pray. Father, once again, as we come before you, we just lift up these requests. And Father, we've got real people dealing with real life situations, but we know that you're a real God and that, Lord, you will meet them in the midst of them. And so, Father, we just intercede for these people asking that, Lord, you would do a work in their lives, that we would see your will come to pass. And Father, I lift up Karen and her family and just a blessing to be able to be part of their mom's celebration of life and really what it was, Lord, it was a celebration of a relationship with you and just the effect that you see that a dedicated born-again believer is able to have upon her family and friends and just what awesome testimony, Lord, this woman has left. And so I pray that you would bless this family and Lord, there's still going to be that time of mourning and that you would meet them in the midst of that as well. Lord, I pray that you would give our sister Anne wisdom and ministry to her mom, and I pray that her mom would be open to whatever needs to occur in her life to meet her mounting medical needs. Father, I lift up Bob and Rosie's four-year-old grandson, and I just pray for a healing concerning his lymph node, that it would be nothing serious, and that, Father, you would restore him back to health. And Lord, I lift up Lydia and Sal's niece, uh, Melissa, and just pray, Father, for this fractured neck. I haven't heard an update, but just pray, Father, that your healing hands would be upon her, Father, and as she's got a long road ahead of her as far as healing or wherever it is that you desire to take her, I pray, Father, that she would seek you out in the midst of this injury. I also pray for Sergio and Michelle that you would restore them quickly as I know they've been discharged from the hospital. Lord, I lift up Chris and Jamie, my my son-in-law, my daughter, and just pray that you would bless them, especially this young man that represents so many serving his country. I pray, Father, that they would travel safely tomorrow and just bless the time that we have with family and friends. Lord, I lift up Maria and just pray that you would give her wisdom, Lord, in this work situation that she's struggling with. I pray for Victor and Lizette and pray that they would travel safely and you would bless their family time together as they are away on vacation. I pray for this man, Matt, and who desires prayer for his father who's had this carpal tunnel surgery and just pray, Father, for a healing I lift up Annie and Andre, their uh, 
um, their friend, I guess, nine-year-old Carolyn, and I just pray, Father, or her brother's niece, and just pray, Father, that, Lord, the, as the neck is, seems to be minor injuries, that those would heal, there would be no lasting effects, and pray, Father, that her ankle would be completely restored. Lord, I lift up Jerry and Vera Ann and their desire to pray for their nephew, Eric, who's back on prescription drugs, and pray, Father, that he would seek you out rather than, Lord, just the attraction that these drugs have upon him. And I also pray for their son's father-in-law, Bill, who's had a biopsy. And we just pray, Father, that this is not anything, Lord, that is life-threatening. But nonetheless, we pray for your hand upon his life. I lift up Irene as she's asked for prayer for Jackie Garza, who's having a stent put in her liver. And I pray for the situation with her husband, that he would be able to be close to her and his ministry to her. And just pray, Father, that you would direct the hands of the doctors in those situations. And I lift up, Father, this person from the Internet, and I pray for their sister, uh, Karina, and just pray for the surgery, Lord, that the surgery went well. And I pray, Father, that we would see her be healed and restored. And then, Lord, I lift up Suzanne's son, and I just pray for him, Lord, that you would touch him, and we just pray for a healing, Lord, that you would take this infection and, and relieve him from it, and that you would restore him to health. And so, Father, again, we just thank you that we have the privilege of prayer and the privilege of being able to pray for your people and just pray, Lord, that we would be faithful when it's scheduled tonight, but even, Father, when it's unexpected coming across our email. And so, Lord, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 26, we'll be starting at verse 1. As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a fitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like the legs of the lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. The great God who who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Tonight we continue to what we started on last week in the previous chapter. Good advice for those who are going to represent the king. We saw Proverbs chapter 25 verse 1. These also are Proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Now again, 1 Kings chapter 4 verse 32 tells us that Solomon penned over 3,000 Proverbs. I haven't gone through and counted in detail, but in the book of Proverbs, we have about a thousand of them. So there were many Proverbs that Solomon had penned. Sometime around 700 B.C., King Hezekiah had some of his scribes assemble a group of Solomon's wise sayings. He seems to have done so for the purpose of, if you will, a manual. A manual for his dignitaries that they would know how to conduct themselves as they are representing the king and as they are representing the kingdom. Wise instructions so that the king's representatives or ambassadors would rightly represent him 
to those who they do business with, to those whom they negotiate with. So chapters 25 through 29 are that which make up this manual. So none of us here, you can think we can safely say, are you ever going to represent any worldly king? You probably won't be a representative of the president. We're probably not going to have too many ambassadors to different nations that represent our nation. But each and every day, every moment, we have the opportunity to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so if this is a manual and how to rightly represent an earthly king, how much more so, as it is in the inspired, as it is the inspired word of God, do we have the ability and even the necessity to hold to these things as we represent our king? See, Hezekiah, he knew, because again, his Bible is your Bible. He knew Proverbs thirteen seventeen: A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. And he wanted health brought to his nation. He wanted to see his nation rightly represented. Well, Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 18, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And we are ambassadors representing Jesus Christ, representing our Lord to this world that so needs a Savior. And we have the ability to rightly represent him. We have the ability to wrongly represent him and bring dishonor to our king as well. We broke down chapter 25 into seven points last week, and I have written here tonight we are going to break chapter 26 into four parts. I was very ambitious. We're only going to get one of those four parts done tonight. As the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or corrupts good morals. You're going to have, those whom you associate with are going to have an influence on you. So let me ask you, who are you associating with? Are you associating with those people who are going to draw you closer to the Christ of the cross? Or are they going to be those who drag you away from that cross of Christ? And so in the various relationships that you have, are you closer to Jesus because of those relationships? And so the idea is this manual, if you will, is being put together. The king could ask his representatives that. Because of the relationships that you have, is that causing you to rightly represent the kingdom? Or are you misrepresenting the kingdom? Are you bringing honor to the kingdom? Or are you bringing dishonor to the kingdom? So tonight the first of four groups, to avoid if you want to truly be an ambassador for the King of Kings. Now keep in mind, just to preface all of this, interactions are necessary. Interactions with all people are necessary. But to be yoked together with any of these four that are represented here will do damage to your reputation and the one you represent. And so I've got to go out into the world and represent Christ to them. So there's going to be various relationships that I have. We're looking at the fool here tonight. Going to be looking at sluggards. Going to be looking at gossipers. And so there's going to have to be interaction with them because we need to see them saved. We need to see them changed. We need to see them right with God. And the only way they're going to be right with God is through those people who minister to them, who speak to them, who share God's word with them. And so if we just completely isolate ourselves, then there's never going to be any change. And that's not what God desires. But I can't yoke myself together with them, allow them to have influence into my life. And so first up, 
do not be joined together with a fool. A fool is, excuse me, a fool is one you have the opportunity to hear from God and be obedient to God. I say a fool, you. A fool is one who has the opportunity to hear from God and to be obedient to God, but refuses to do so. He decides that he is going to conduct his life according to his own intellect and not allow the word of God to have any effect upon him. The reason we do interact with a fool is so that they may get wisdom, that they may repent, they may get right with God and be foolish no more. There's always opportunity. And so we've got to see the opportunity in all of our relationships. But as for dealing with the fool today, now again, the fool today we're looking at is one who has refused God's word, one who has decided to go according to his own way, maybe even refusing to acknowledge God. So first thing is, do not put a fool in the position of honor. Verse 1, as snow in summer, rarely if ever happens, and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting a fool. And so what he's saying is just a natural occurrence. You know, just as these things don't happen in, in creation, they ought not to happen. You ought not to force that to happen. You ought not to put a fool in the position of honor. You make three mistakes when you do so. First mistake that you make, you just confirm his foolishness. And he is deceived to think he is wise when in fact he is not. And so I've got to make sure of those who I put into any kind of position of honor because what I'm doing as I do that, I'm just confirming who they are. I'm confirming how they are. The devil, the devil has two great lies. First, you're good as is. And secondly, you have plenty of time. I don't want to make the fool comfortable in his foolishness because we are not good as we are. There needs to be a change in our lives. We all needed to be born again. I need to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as far as plenty of time, we don't know if we have the next breath. As far as the Lord could take us home at any moment, through rapture or through death, the next moment is not promised to any of us. And how much more so the fool who has refused God, it will be only to his detriment. And so... Do not add to a fool's self-deception because fool truly has deceived himself. The second mistake you make when you give a fool a position of honor is you give him a false impression of his worth. Now, an integral part of my salvation process was the coming undone of my perceived importance. Every person who has ever committed suicide was convinced that they were good for nothing and there was no hope. Every person who has ever been saved was convinced that they were good for nothing, but their hope was in Jesus Christ, and their sufficiency or their value was in Jesus Christ as well. And so as far as a fool, I don't want to give him a false impression of his worth. And what I mean by worth, I mean the value of his opinion, the value of his abilities, the value of his, of his thoughts. I want to make sure that he understands that, well, the position that he holds, and it's apart from God. The third mistake that you make when putting a fool in a position of authority is you give him a platform for his foolishness. If I was to put a fool in a position of authority here at the church, 
He's not going to be he who rightly represents the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to be wrongly representing, well, maybe it's not wrongly, maybe it's rightly represented, but nonetheless, representing his foolishness. Matter of fact, some of the greatest evangelists are fools, but the problem is they're not bringing people to the Lord, they're evangelizing people to more foolishness. Because what is, you, know, you have somebody, especially in a position of authority, who's a fool, and he's acting like a fool, that's just going to feed into your foolishness as well. It's going to validate your foolishness. And a lot of times we could so do that. We can do something just because, well, it's the same thing the kids did. Well, Bobby got to do it. We bring that into adulthood a lot as well, justifying our actions. I know of a man, at least my, I think it was a father of a friend of my wife who justified adultery because King David did it. So it was good because King David did it? That was part of the downfall of the man's life. Yeah, he was right with God, but if you're going to look to somebody else like that, that's just foolishness. Secondly, do not fear a fool. Verse 2. Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. It matters not what a fool says. A curse does not matter coming from a fool because the source of his speech is simply a foolish heart. As your life is hidden in Christ, Fear him and fear him alone. Fear, have that healthy respect for him based upon who he is and what he is able to do. Why would I fear a fool? Who is he? He's foolish. What is he able to do? He can't do anything for himself. He's not going to be able to touch me, not apart from God's will. Matthew 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We fear God, and we fear God alone. A curse from a fool in the face of God means absolutely nothing. So keep your perspective of reality and spirituality proper. Keep your face before God. Keep your face before the living God. Again, had an opportunity to do a funeral today. It was a very intimate funeral. It was just one of those funerals. Say, I, as a pastor, I get to do baby dedications, and you know, grandparents and great parents, grandparents are there. The church, you know, when a baby comes up, they applaud. And there's an excitement about that, and it's a neat ministry. I get to do weddings, and it's an emotion, and it's just kind of a neat thing seeing a young couple just starting out in their lives and all of that. But I really see the value in funerals. I don't like seeing people die. I don't like seeing the sadness, but I see the opportunity. I see the opportunity because everybody at a funeral, they're contemplating their own mortality. What they're thinking is, what if that was me in that casket? Or what if that was my spouse or my loved one in that casket? Because it's then that although we do so many things as a society to not have to face our own mortality, our own death, there it's staring them in the face. And guess what? We got the answer. We got the answer. We're the only ones who have the answer, the reasonable answer, for death. And we have this awesome opportunity to share it. Now, my job was made easy today because the woman who had passed away, her testimony, her words, her words and her testimony continued after her life. And what I'm saying, do you see the value of living a proper Christian life? Because she was able to touch people in a very profound way. Heard all the testimonies of people that came up there. And they all, I don't know if they all believed in Christ, but they all saw Christ in her. 
And it was that which continued on throughout generations, or will continue on throughout generations, even after her death. And as I've said so many times before, we look at the scriptures and we look at the prophecies and ah, the rapture of the church very possibly. Well, it could not happen for a couple hundred more years or it could happen tomorrow. God would be valid in taking the church home tomorrow. And that being the case, what is it that's going to flow through after our absence? It's going to be the word and it's going to be our testimony. Because as I've said, the moment the rapture happens on the planet Earth, there's not one saved person. But I think just microseconds after it, there's going to be people who think, they were right, or it was true. There's going to be an element of fools who become born-again believers at that moment. And it's going to be because of our testimony. It's going to be because of our witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as far as fearing a fool, well, that's foolishness within itself because a fool cannot touch my heart. My heart is hidden with the Lord. Verse 3, it is correct to correct a fool. Verse 3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. Now, don't go out of here, find a foolish person, and start smacking them with a stick. That's not a good thing. You know what they're talking about here. They're simply talking about correcting a fool. So as I have opportunity for those whom God has given me leadership over, I have to be of the mindset of correcting that which is foolish. Foolishness as I see it, and those God has given me for the purpose of leadership. Now, think about it this way, because again, it can be a hard thing to do, and it should be a hard thing to do, correcting people. We shouldn't find enjoyment in that. And sometimes we can put it off. Those things that make us uncomfortable, we can put off, and we can even not do. Just keep putting it off until it just kind of gets swept under the rug, until the next time the fool rears his ugly head. But look at it this way. When you act foolishness, wasn't God quick to correct you? He was quick to correct you. He didn't shy away from the correction that was necessary in your life. And thank God for that. Why? Because he loved you. He loved you and he didn't want to see you conducting your life as a fool. He knew that there was correction or change necessary and he worked that correction and change out in your life. It wasn't an easy thing for most of us because we hung on to the foolishness that we embraced so passionately before. But little by little, isn't that the essence of discipleship and growing in Christian maturity is releasing more and more of those foolish thoughts, ideas, and actions. So, I mean, if I never acted foolishness, foolish in my life again, I'd be a really strong born-again believer. And so there's always those little elements of foolishness in our, all of our lives. God's constantly picking them out. He's constantly taking them away. So God has corrected you for the foolish things that you have done. So I must be of the mindset that maybe God wants to use me to correct the fool whom he has given me authority over. Now, if you want to become a fool cop, you will quickly become a foolish cop. And what I mean by that, a fool cop, a cop who goes around, person, self-appointed police person, going around and calling, I'm going to correct all the fools in the church. No, you, you do these things as God brings them to you. And it's something that it needs to be something that needs to be prayed about. It's something that needs to be labored over. I don't see a gifting of person who's pointing out fools. But as God brings them and reveals them into my life over those I have authority over, I need to be obedient in what he has given me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness 
to those who have been trained by it. Trained speaks of a process. Hebrews 12, verse 11, speaks of a process. It's not enjoyable, so that means it's going to hurt. The times that God has corrected you, well, the, the more correction necessary, the deeper that he had to go and the harder it hurt. Fourthly, a fool should not be argued with. Verse 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him, lest you also be viewed like him. I've been goaded into arguments before. There's been arguments that I figured, I'm not going to get into that argument. I'm not going to even go there. And then you find yourself in the midst of the argument, and you find no way out of the argument, and all of a sudden you realize that you've become, or at least your view, just as foolish as the fool was because you've stooped down to their level. And that's exactly what this speaks of, stooping down to the level of a fool or trying to bring a fool up to your level in an improper way. When I say your level, I'm assuming you're walking right with the Lord. As the Word of God is living and as the Word of God is powerful, I'm just simply to speak it. It doesn't say anywhere in here to get in an argument with everybody or anybody. And what are we constantly doing on Facebook, Twitter and everything. We're arguing with everybody. There's just, I mean, that's what this whole world, you know, in, in, in uh, what is it, Psalm, Psalm 2, it says the nations rage. And the nations are definitely raging today. Everybody is arguing. You turn on Fox News, they're arguing about what is right. You turn on CNN, they're arguing about what is left and everything in between. It's not what God told us to do. He simply told us to unleash the Word of God. And the Word of God is unleashed through the speaking of of the Word of God. It's the speaking of the Word of God that unleashes the power of the Word of God. Now look at it. When you're training a dog, do you argue with the dog? No. You, you simply, well, I, I had an iris setter. I always wanted an iris setter. My cousin got an iris setter, and my parents, they kind of used it to bribe me when they wanted to move from La Mirada to Brea. When we get there, we'll get you an iris setter, and then I was good with it. But you had to train it. Now, I took it to training school. It was like a six-week course. And it was kind of a neat thing because the dog was very smart, and I didn't think it was going to work, but it did. And I remember we went through the whole thing, and I was very faithful in training the dog. I can even walk him off leash, and he would stay right beside me. When I would stop, he would stop and sit down. And again, it was really good. And we had a, like a dog show at the end, and we finished in third place. There was only three dogs, but nonetheless... <laughs> He still, he still did a really good job. Now, I didn't give him a manual to read. I didn't explain it all to him, and I definitely did not argue with him. I told him this is how it is. I told him this is how it is. Now, it's not just tell. It was tell with consequences. Now, I'm not to be the one to dish out the consequences when dealing with a human being, but with the dog, there were certain things that you would do. to have a choker chain that you would more scare him than anything else, but it did. It, it trained him. Now, God is using us, and our portion in how God is using us is just speaking God's word, not arguing. There's never been anybody who has been argued into the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's not bad to debate. You know, as long as somebody's interested in what you have to say, maybe they're not going to agree with it, but they want to hear your position, then we're to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So am I going to sit with Uncle Harry? Am I going to 
argue the rapture with him? No, he just simply needs to know the elementary things. He needs to know. He needs to get right with God. You need to get right with God, and, and then you take the opportunity to evangelize him, to give the gospel in a way that he's able to understand, digest, and to receive. But you don't go into elements of theology or start arguing, you know, whatever it might be. You know, start arguing with him about reincarnation or, or whatever. No, he needs a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And God will do the work. Fifthly, a fool's folly should be exposed for what it is. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. As foolishness needs to be exposed so that its weaknesses will be revealed, so we need to be wise in how we approach the fool. I need to be wise. I need to understand that it's a gentle word that's going to keep things where they need to be. I need to understand that, well, this person, if I just convince him according to my position, but I don't lead him into a proper relationship with Jesus Christ, I haven't done anything for him. You see them marching all over the place against homosexuality. I'm against homosexuality. Why? Because the Bible is. It says it's sin. But it doesn't do any good if I have the homosexual and I convince him to be a homosexual no more, but I don't lead him into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's still going to hell. He's still going to hell. And I have done him absolutely no favors. He's got to get a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's essential. We can get in there and start arguing about homosexuality and we need to stand on the truth. Again, don't get me wrong on this, but what they need is Jesus Christ. See, they didn't, somebody didn't come to and approach me and look at all of the details of my life and tell me, well, you need to stop doing this, you can't do that anymore, and give me all the do's and the don'ts of my life. No, they said, you need to get right with Jesus Christ. And finally, I got right with Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said, you know, this has got to go. And some things I said, yeah, you're right, I understand that, and I released them. Some things I kind of tried to hold on. Other things I played tug-of-war with the Lord with, but the problem is he always won. And there's still issues in my life that God's dealing with because there's issues in all of our lives that God is dealing with. And, well, those things, those things that needed to be dealt with, God exposed them for what they are, for the foolishness of what it was. With a child, child, the exposing of what is foolish and what is wise needs to be done under our guidance. And with others, it needs to be done with a balance of grace and a balance of love rightly representing Lord into their lives because it's all about the truth of God working and doing a work within a man, within a woman's life. Verse 6, a fool is not to be trusted to deliver a message. Verse 6, he who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. He will not understand it, and I'm speaking obviously of our message, the gospel here. How can I expect a fool to deliver it? He will not understand it. He will distort it. He will change it, and through inaccuracies, he will render it ineffective. This is why you cannot get the gospel message from the History Channel. This is why you cannot get the gospel message from a you know, news magazine show. It's why you're not more than likely, to a degree, not going to get the gospel message from the majority of Hollywood-produced movies. Why do these people do all of these things? Because they're looking to make money. 
and they're going to bring whatever it is or do whatever is necessary to get the most people into that theater to sell the most tickets. And so the latest movie comes out and we'll sit there with our Bibles and we'll go and we'll critique it. Well, a lot of these movies are not really done by believers. I mean, they're, they're using the Bible, but they're using the Bible very loosely. And so I ought not to expect the gospel to go out in a powerful way because the God-ordained way is through me speaking the gospel. Now, I can use these things. I, can, I mean, the passion of Christ. Mel Gibson, he revealed himself as a fool. How many times did he get pulled over for drunk driving? He uh, beat his wife, got divorced, and just, just a mess. But I can use these things as tools, but I cannot discount the power of the spoken word of God. See, the spoken word of God is to never leave the lips of God's people. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. How then shall they call on him, call on Jesus, whom, who, in whom they have not believed? And how should they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And again, these are all have question marks after. In the Bible, when there's a question mark after it, 99% of the time the answer is to the negative. How should they call on them whom they have not believed? Well, they're not going to be able to. How should they believe in him and whom they have not heard? They're not going to be able to. How should they hear without a preacher? They're not going to be able to. And how should they preach unless they are sent? They're not going to be able to. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And this is a good thing, that it's still all about the spoken word of God. Why? Because it always depends upon human interaction with a divine covering. A person filled with the Holy Spirit, with that divine appointment, sharing the word of God with an unbeliever or an encouraging believer in the word of God. And with all the social media, with all of email, and with all the impersonal things that seem to be out there today, we still got to go out there. It's still just as they, they say in, in, uh, during a time of war, you still have to have the boots on the ground. We still have to have the evangelists on the ground. The world cannot properly deliver this message, though, because they're void of the Holy Spirit. They have not experienced the message of the gospel, so it's going to have, well, they're not going to speak with any real passion. Even angels cannot properly deliver the message of the gospel because they have never experienced the grace of God. You can just think, I mean, if between me and an angel, you think an angel would be able to do it better. But God has chosen you. God has chosen mankind to deliver his message because we have experienced the grace of God. In order to effectively deliver the gospel, you must have experienced what the gospel has to offer. It would be like me explaining love to you, never having been in love. But a person who has been in love will be able to explain it, maybe not in detail, but at least be able to give you an understanding of it. I am to just open my mouth, give the person the understanding of the gospel of God, and then this word is powerful and it's living. And you'll see how God works through it into the life of another. Verse 7, a fool should not be given a platform. Like the legs of the lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. doesn't necessarily mean a proverb out of the Bible, just speaking in general terms. If a person is not saved and does not possess the Holy Spirit, then really, what do they have to say? 
we have services three times a week. We've got different other small groups, uh, Wednesday morning men's study and so on and so forth. But let's just look at their services that we have. Obviously, we have a Thursday night. We have a Sunday morning and we have a Sunday night. Three opportunity for God's word to go out. We need to hold those times dear. We ought not to give the platform for an opportunity for a fool. And you can see it throughout churches. There's a politician that they put up there. I don't know, whoever else it might be. The word of God has to go out. The word of God has to go out. Because, well, sometimes there might be somebody sitting in that audience that you're just going to get really one crack at. Um, my wife and I, we went to, uh, I did the invocation at the city hall uh, about a month, maybe two months ago. I think it was about two months ago. When we were going in, there was this really nice guy out front. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, da, da, da. Oh, you got a Bible? Yeah, nothing like the good book. And let me get the door for you. Open the door for us and everything went in. And he, I think he might ask what church we went to or whatever. And I said, well, I'm pastor of Calvary Chapel. Oh, you're a pal. That's great. Da, 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 da. Went and sat down. Then he came up and introduced himself to me. It was Rudy Favila. Rudy is, um, he's been mayor of Ontario before. He kind of stepped down when they did the FBI investigation. Um, and now he's running for mayor once again. And, and he asked me, do you allow uh, people to come and, and speak to your congregation? <laughs> Dream on, buddy. If I did, I'm not going to do it anymore. But I told him, no, I don't. <laughs> I told him I don't because the gospel needs to go out. Even if he was the best politician that ever existed, who's he, is he going to talk about Jesus Christ? No, he's up there to talk about himself. Do you need more of Rudy or do you need more of Jesus? We need more of Jesus. Don't give a fool your platform. Verses 8 and 9, a fool should not be praised. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. If you encourage a foolish child in his foolish ways, you will only get more foolishness. What we are encouraged in, we increase in. Now, he, he kind of lumps this person, this foolish person, again, in verse 7, or what is it, verse 8, like one who binds a stone in a sling. You don't bind a stone in a sling. You set it in a pouch. He's talking about a slingshot. You twirl it around, you let go of one of, the, one of the tethers and it opens up and it throws the rock. Now, if you tied the rock onto that and you swung the rock around, you're probably going to hurt yourself sooner or later. Now, for you older people here, you may remember, I don't remember if it was in the 60s or 70s, there was this kind of thing that went around, it was called clackers. Yeah, remember clackers? Clackers was a very foolish thing that made somebody a whole lot of money. They were these resin balls that were maybe about that big, you know, smaller than a, maybe about the size of a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl, Super Bowl, had a hole drilled through it, had a string, and it was attached to a ring, and there were two of them. And as you would lift them up, they would clack back and forth. You know, they were real hard, so they would kind of bounce off each other. And you did it more and more, and you kind of go like that, and they go, that, 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 that. And so they were, you can, you can Google clackers and you'll see what they were. <laughs> they still sell them, do they? <clears throat> well, I just remember when they were out, there were kids falling right and left. They, those things, sooner or later when you do it, they, one would smash and so they would blow up in some kid's face or some kid would always get hit in the head with them. 
I mean, these things were all, they were, they were very foolish. It was really a foolish toy to give to a young child. And so that's what he's saying here in verse 8, like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. Well, that's a foolish thing to do, to bind a stone in a sling. Well, it's the same thing as one who gives honor to a fool. What are you doing? You're just encouraging the fool in his foolishness. Like a thorn that goes into a hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. It's just something that is irritating. It's something that hurts, that does absolutely no good. Verses 10 through 11, do not hire a fool. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. How many times have you had to deal with a foolish salesperson? How many times have you had to deal with somebody who you know more about what they were selling than they did? Very frustrating when you go somewhere and you finally come to a realization, this guy doesn't know what he is talking about. Would that be the kind of person that you would want representing yourself? But really the idea here is it's about intervention because it's God who wants to give him his wages. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages or gives them what they deserve. And so you ought not, as I've said so many times, get between the fool and get between God. Because what God is going to give them, some of it's going to get upon you. That sometimes, sometimes, well, any time that it's from God, we need to let them get the repercussions from the things they've said or the things they've done. They have to go through the trial to learn. Because I don't know everybody here, and some of you I don't know exceptionally well the details of your life but i know that you had to go through some hard things in order to truly learn the lesson because we are all like that we can all be thick-headed well there's a story in luke chapter 15 about a thick-headed young man just to go through it fairly rapidly a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to the father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me so he divided them uh, he divided to them his livelihood Basically, he's saying, Dad, I just assume you be dead. I want my inheritance now. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent them into the fields to feed swine and that he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck, and he kissed him. In the story of the prodigal son, notice that the father did not come to the son until the son had a heart to come to the father. God did not come to you. I mean, I know in one means he did come to you, but he did not just pull you out of your trial until you had a desire to seek him out in the midst of it. There was a necessary time of pig pod consumption. Pig pod, now to the Jew, this is just off the charts and uncleanliness. 
I don't mean just surface clean, but I mean spiritually unclean, just completely unclean. They wouldn't be around pigs, let alone in the midst of the pigs, let alone eating pig food. But in the midst of the pigsty is where the son finally came to himself. It's where he finally got it. It's where he, well, now we see a man who was formerly completely and thoroughly a fool. Now, finally, he's got an element of wisdom. Son came to himself, realized who he was. I'm son of a rich man, but also understood who his father was. My son, I mean, sorry, my father, he's got all the riches in the world, and my father loves me and is a very compassionate man. And it's then that he returned. Do you know who sat there and remained and ate the pig food? The pigs, because that's what pigs do. But the idea here is, is that it was necessary for him to go amongst the pigs to come to himself. So what this tells me, if the father intervenes somewhere, well, I heard Junior, you know, he spent all the money, and now all of a sudden he's got nothing. All right, we'll go get him and bring him back home. He didn't do that. He understood it's going to be necessary for him to sink a little lower. To sink a little lower this time because dad wanted him to come to himself so that he would get back to where he needed to be and it worked. Verse 12. Let me get back there. There's only one thing worse than a fool. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. As bad as the fool is, there's somebody who is far worse off. A person who is wise in their own eyes is the one who considers himself perfect and needs no improvement. And so what Solomon is desiring to do here is is to have his people have a proper perspective of who they are and the king and the kingdom whom they represent. That they are a special people. Well, the Jews were. They received the word of God. Now, that wasn't to elevate them above everybody else, but it was for the purpose of making themselves a light to the Gentiles. To whom much has been given? much is expected of. And so they were expected to rightly represent God to their own people and also the people of the world. Hezekiah, he took that concept into his kingdom. I don't want you hanging with fools. I don't want you dragging down the name of the kingdom because there's work to be done and it's essential that my ambassadors rightly represent me and rightly represent the kingdom to this world. And again, how much more so when it comes to representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, again, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you for the direction that we have from your word. And we just pray, Father, that we would not be the fool, but also, Lord, that we would not associate ourselves with the fool. Lord, we would certainly minister to the fool, but, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom in that area. Give us wisdom, Father, so that we would see your will come to pass, so that, Father, we would see you rightly represented to those in this world, that, Father, we would see revival come, that we would see salvation come into the lives of individuals. And so, Lord, again, we just thank you for this word, and it's how timely it is for those who are here tonight, Lord, as many of us in this holiday week and are going to be going into unsaved family and friends' homes. I pray as we do, just as these ambassadors were back then, that we would be wise, Lord, that we would not be getting into the same old arguments time and time again, but, Father, we would rightly represent you through the giving of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Will you all stand, please? A couple of announcements. I will be here on Sunday, but next week the office is...